Alright, hello and welcome to this episode of OK, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. Uh, today we're going to be talking about an issue that, for whatever reason, doesn't uh, really doesn't get covered in the zeitgeist nearly as much as it should, uh, which is really surprising because of all the potential policy proposals. And I really, I, I gotta stop alliterating on, on these things. Uh, <laughs> of all the policy proposals I've ever seen, uh, this is one that uh, by far garners more bipartisan support. Uh, conservatives like it, liberals like it, and economists from all schools uh, and across eras uh, really seem to like it. Uh, what we'll be talking about today is the concept of a minimum basic income or a guaranteed minimum income or a basic income grant. It has a lot of acronyms uh, that people like to go off of. For our purposes, we'll be calling it a minimum basic income or an MBI. Uh, what also makes this issue a little odd is that I actually have no firm opinion on it. Uh, I can see a lot of upsides to it, and we'll cover them in the show, but there's uh, always been something about an MBI that I'm not quite comfortable with. Uh, so we'll see today if I, uh, if I can't make up my mind. Um, in order to keep things interesting, I did find a guest who does have an opinion on the, uh, uh, on the MBI. Uh, uh, today my guest is Ben Henke. Yep. Uh, uh, how's it going, Ben? Going well. And uh, how about a little just uh, background on yourself? Sure. Uh, I currently work in finance. Uh, work as director of client relations for Cruise Asset Management, a boutique asset management firm. Um, I'm a contract. So I may have a different job next time I'm on this show again sometime <laughs> in the future. Right. right now, that's where I am. Uh, and we're going to talk about the minimum basic income. Yeah. So, you know, first off, uh, I guess, what is a minimum basic income? Minimum basic income would just be the idea that everyone, I'm assuming of working age, wouldn't be doing this for children, would be granted a certain amount of income every month. There's actually even a documentary I'm aware of where they're going to try and do this for a select number of people, follow them around and, die and you know, film them for a year or two. And the exact amount isn't really discussed very widely because there's so many things that could go into it, right? The, mm. The minimum amount to keep a roof over your head in New York City is probably not the same as it would be in rural Indiana. Yeah. So how would you adjust for that? One of the problems that starts coming up when you start talking about the specifics of this. Um, do you have any questions before we start off? Well, I've got some I, things I can go into right away. I mean, just yeah, just on the broad level. So yeah, minimum basic income would be the idea that um, the, the the federal government uh, just uh, instead of uh, in lieu of the the uh, large uh, social welfare apparatus that we, that we have. I think um, one of the papers I was reading it cites seventy nine different means tested federal programs. That's uh, you know welfare, unemployment, food stamps across mm -hmm. the board, uh, and there's also redundancies down at the state level. So instead of all of that, uh, the federal government would just cut a check every month to. Uh, it varies exactly whether it's every citizen or whether it becomes a means-tested exactly. thing and it's every citizen below a certain income but simply send out one check every month and that's it um, it's it, it, again for that reason right there it's a, it's an idea that um, some policymakers find very attractive uh, others uh, not so much there's definitely a, a uh, core economics component to this yeah. whole idea. Um, 
And again, that's what we're going to be getting into. Uh, now, you'd mentioned um, follow, uh, that, that countries are experimenting with this. So there's a, a there are places they've tried this. I want to say in Canada, they had an experiment where they did this with a you know, native community. Um, the most interesting example of this, in, in my mind, and this is part of what I think is would be good to follow up on later. If people want to take a more in depth look at it. Is in England at the end of the 18th century and into the early 19th century. They had something called the steam handland system, which was pretty much what we're talking about. It was one of the only really widely distributed processes like this that's ever been done. What was going on is around the time of the Napoleonic Wars, there were increases in the prices of grain such that they had you know rural poor who were just about ready to starve to death and also were becoming a real poss possible problem for the land of gentry because they didn't want to have you know a revolt on their hands. And the steam handling system eventually ended up being operated such that, first of all, it was based on the price of grain. And initially, it did succeed. So it lasted from maybe 1790 to 1834 when the poor law reforms were put in place in England, which when you think about uh, Charles Dickens and you think about you know Oliver Twist, that's the system that came out after the steam handling system. And so what would happen is, over time, it ended up being that the you know, laborers were paid less and less and less because if they, it was essentially a means-tested process. So they were able, it, you know, you know, the people who had work, you know, they could work, but if you worked, it would only make, got the same amount as if you didn't work. Mm. So eventually, the entire you know, labor system of that era was that people wouldn't work. Even if, even if they weren't just lazy, it didn't make sense to give up your free time if you were just going to get paid the same amount from the local parish anyway. Yeah. So eventually over time, sort of, you know, the laws of economics <laughs> took hold and you, you got a system where they had a lot of people not choosing not to work because it was the rational thing to do because all, all labor costs were essentially being pushed back onto the parish from the way the system was structured. Hmm. Well, and I know in my own reading, I like uh, ideas like this uh, are very much not new. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I found uh, versions of, of an MBI uh, proposed as far back as Thomas Paine mm -hmm. in Agrarian Justice. Um, Henry George, uh, Milton Friedman. Uh, Interestingly, Milton Friedman, yeah. That's one that I was surprised well, the heck out of me. Well, and his was, uh, you know, he had proposed it as a negative income tax, exactly. but it's, Same idea. it's basically an MBI. Uh, Robert Theobald, uh, and then uh, I know Finland just this year, mm -hmm. uh, they are experimenting with an MBI. They've, they're giving 2,000 citizens 560 euro a month. Um, Regard the, the mm -hmm. citizens they've selected, uh, there's no means testing to it. Mm -hmm. It was a sam random sample, uh, and they're going to do it for two years and see how that works. I I don't know how uh, well a trial version of this with a limited population works because when you when you look at the at least theoretical benefits, they really would only kick in if everyone. Happiness. Exactly, exactly. That's, I think, a really good point to make with these sort of experiments they're running is that it only becomes a portion of the labor market. And so you don't see the labor market distortions that you'd otherwise expect if it were instituted much more broadly. I, I think, just as a funny aside, you talk about there being 79 different programs that are means tested in the United States. Imagine the first people who'd end up on the minimum guaranteed income would be all the administrators for those 79 organizations well, well, who got to figure something else out to do. That's, that is, of course, the, <laughs> yeah, the second order effect is, yes, 
the the co- we're looking at we're talking about cost savings, but we're mm-hmm. also talking where a good chunk of that cost savings comes from is the jobs of the people employed to administer mm-hmm. welfare and food stamps and, and all that. Y- exactly, exactly. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we can break this down, you know, I, I, the, you know the, as with, um, you know, most economic issues, uh, we, can, we can take a look at this from sort of a neutral academic standpoint. Mm-hmm. And start weighing the costs and benefits. So, I mean, the the top one that people always cite is you could basically, and and this is, I think, where the temptation on for conservatives comes from, is this social welfare system, the the social safety net that that has been created over the decades, over the centuries Mm -hmm. in the U.S., you can just get rid of that because Mm -hmm. you wouldn't need it anymore. Like, everyone... Yeah, you know, gets that, and again, that just to note, we are talking about. I think most of the time when we talk about this, we'd probably be talking about a universal MBI system, but you could do implement the same program as a means tested. So, yeah. it's you get a check if you're making under twenty five thousand dollars a Something year, like that. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, if you think about it, something like the earned income tax credit has that effect already. Mm-hmm. We'd just be talking about really expanding that to a wider group of people, or just increasing the amounts on it. Yeah. Uh, so again, yeah, you'd be you you would, and again, without, I guess, at least directly harming or or further impoverishing uh, the yeah. the beneficiaries of those programs, you just simply supplement it, and they get to spend that money. As they will, mm-hmm. um, the the, I guess the benefit I see in an MBI that is really tempting, um, especially because uh, you know I'm always I'm interested in in the issue of the minimum wage, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we'll eventually do an episode on that. Mm-hmm. And believe me, it's much more complex than uh, the pundits on TV or the protesters in the streets would have you believe. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with that. And so with this, you know, with the issue of, I mean, economists know that price floors are dicey, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you set them above the equilibrium Mm -hmm. uh, price. But there, you know, the human being in me looks at people making, you know, working, you know, 30 to 50 hour weeks Mm -hmm. still making below the poverty line and goes well can we do better we should do something about this yeah absolutely um with with an mbi you could get rid of minimum wages you don't have to worry about that uh and the existence of that check coming every month uh to all citizens Mm -hmm. uh would basically, at least in theory, put upward pressure on wages because, and again, this this dovetails back into what might be an issue with this. If I'm getting, say, uh, let's say $10,000 a year, it is not in my interest to work a job that pays me less than that. Why would I? I get $10,000 for sitting around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why would I work a, a job that only nets me by the end of the year maybe $9,500? Granted, if I did work that job, I could add that 9000 to the 10000 I'm already getting, but there's that, you know, that kind of, 
I, I guess. I, I think there, there's an interesting thing you, you bring up. It, maybe it would have an impact on what type of work a person would choose to mm -hmm. engage themselves in. Perhaps there are future you know, painters, singers, musicians who are able to further develop those talents and you know, produce something of, of value in that way that having this type of a system would allow them to sort of come to fruition. Whereas, as it is now, they may be spending all their time and energy just trying to keep a roof over their heads. Yeah. And, and what's, you know, we live in a very wealthy country. But I, I think it, it starts going to these deeper notions of how much time do we want to, should people spend working and, and, and how should they be doing it? And I think, I don't know if you have a piece you want to talk about this, but when I think about this, I think about things like automation and things like, What's going to happen in ten years if long haul truck drivers are really only there to refill the trucks? Yeah. If taxi cabs really are, are self driving the way that we're, we're sort of being led to believe will happen in the near term future, there there may be new jobs for these things. But it, it, the, going back to that Speed Hamlin example, that was right around the time the industrial revolution was taking off, and this is where you got these 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 workers who are dislocated, and an economist will tell you over time, yes, they'll find new jobs, but that time it takes to find a new job and retool is 20 or 30 years of your prime working age, well, you, you've lost quite a lot of time there. You know, you've really damaged an entire generation of workers in that shift from one, one epoch to another in terms of how work is composed in a society. Well, and, and I mean, yeah, the idea of creating that soft landing mm -hmm. for, again, if we, if we assume that we're in a period, we're in a, 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 an economic epoch, I, I swear I'll stop alliterating at some <laughs> point, uh, epoch changing period, we're in that transition. Um, and low skill, low pay jobs are gonna, going to be completely replaced by automation within our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, it, you, we can either let that happen and have it be the the glorious mess from which a stronger mm -hmm. economy will emerge because that's the great mm -hmm. thing about market forces mm -hmm. or we could but you know in doing that in letting it play itself out you're going to have ever-increasing unemployment ever-increasing unrest mm -hmm. and an mbi could be a way of creating that soft landing where we we take take these workers whose jobs are disappearing mm -hmm. and buy them some time to acquire new skills or like you said for for an artist like uh, art isn't necessarily profit bearing right away mm -hmm. no no one walks in and is just the new Jackson Pollock mm -hmm. or Pablo Picasso that takes time and the 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 <clears throat> Stereotype of the starving artist is there for a reason. I, I guess the thing is, and two, if you look back over, I, I think the, the history of this is so interesting. If you look back, you say, what, 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 you know, I'm going to use two giants of economics and talking about this. You, if, you, if, you had, if you resurrected John Maynard Keynes right now and told him that we still have people running around working 80 hour weeks or we have people working two jobs to afford their consumptive lifestyle. Um, it would probably be shocked. You would say, "Well, you have the ability to have more leisure. Why don't people trade he, leisure for you know for work?" They would be less he'd stressed. Ask, he'd ask what went wrong. Exactly, exactly. Um, and the other thing too, and I think this is where the implementation gets really interesting, is that when you start talking about what are the what is the effect on inflation? Mm. Because we would assume that this would be an inflationary force, especially if it were not mean, means tested, or if it was even just marginally means tested. 
Well, and getting into that, and yeah, one of the issues that crops up, I, I saw uh, a guy named Danny Vinnick from Business Insider, which is actually a publication I usually like to bag on. But <laughs> Danny here, I, I double-checked, and, and it's it, their estimates, but they're mm-hmm. close enough, as good as you can really get on estimates like this. Uh, he had taken a look at uh, what, what really would it cost, and, and then what would be saved. And mm-hmm. so, is is there a shortfall? Oh, this is interesting. I, I don't remember reading that one. And uh, he took he was using numbers from 2012, and so he and in again in his his numbers go to a, a, a somewhat limited scope, uh, but they still il- illustrate part of the issue, uh, which is he's, he estimates 179 million Americans between the ages of 21 and 65. Uh, why he picks 21, I don't know. Because uh, 18 is the age of adulthood. But Outside of schooling, maybe, I guess. Yeah. And then 65, it assumes that Social Security still mm-hmm. exists, which part of me, and again, I, I have not run the numbers on this, would be tempted to say if, we've, if we're implementing an MBI, why not simply continue those checks going out onto death and eliminate Social Security? And I, the only reason I can think of why policymakers do that 65 cutoff is nobody wants to be caught saying the words eliminate Social Security, even though they're replacing <laughs> it. Like they, they're replacing it with something just as good. Uh, so, yeah, 179 million, million Americans between 21 and 65, uh, just as a, a, as a line of demarcation, he takes the poverty line at 11,000. $945 a year and says, okay, if we're going to put everyone at the everyone in that age group at the poverty line uh, with a monthly check, it's going to cost us $2.14 trillion a year. Now, the estimated cost savings from cutting benefits, and I, I double-checked, this is not only the, the actual benefit Cost, you know, the, the, the welfare check, the, the money that goes into food stamps, but also the money it costs to administer it, which is disturbingly like one fifth, four fifths uh, ratio costs that much more to administer the programs. Than, oh, really? Uh, yeah, uh, at least from the estimates I was mm-hmm. looking at. Um, that would save us about a trillion dollars a year. So we're still 1.14 trillion short. And that then leads into the issue, which probably scares off a lot of politicians, which is if you want to make up that shortfall, there's really only a couple ways of doing it. Um, Or, and this did get brought up, you don't set it at the poverty line. Uh, Instead of $11,945 a year, you set it at $5,000 a year, and that way... The, the cost savings is, is worth it. Yeah, you can't live on the MBI, but the idea, we don't want people living on the MBI. It's it's more of a supplementary idea, I guess. Uh, so yeah, that just the, the, yeah, what that's what really the primary issue that crops up um, with the idea of implementing it is, doesn't quite pay for itself. I think the thing about that too is is interesting is so we, we talked about Milton Friedman earlier and and I'm I'm not sure if you know people are familiar with this speech but I, I certainly am as I've already reread it probably a dozen times in the last ten years 
Um, at Milton Friedman's birthday celebration, and I want to say it was 2006, uh, Ben Bernanke gave a speech, you know, former Federal Reserve Chairman, gave a speech called you know, Deflation, Making Sure It Doesn't Happen Here. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really interesting, you know, he talk, talk, brings up the fact that you know, if you get into a situation like has been gone going in Japan for a long time, where they have essentially ongoing deflation for the better part of 20 years, 20 plus years, that we have a technology called the printing press or its digital equivalent, this is almost a verbatim quote, which allows us to print unlimited amounts of money. And from a wider policy perspective, that's part of what quantitative easing has been trying to, to foment is essentially inflation. And that, you know, a universal basic income might, um, might be that, might be that helicopter drop of money that mm. increases monetary velocity, that changes the way the workforce is relating to each other and, and, to, and to industry. And so it might be, you know, an, an initial kickstart at some point, or it might be something that really reshapes the nature of work in this country. And I, I think we don't know, and that's why I think some of these these analyses of saying well, how much is it going to cost are are difficult. Well, and one thing that uh, was pointed out uh, that I'm I'm disappointed I didn't pick up on until I read somebody mention it was uh, tax revenue will go up naturally mm -hmm. because. A whole crop of people who are not paying taxes because they don't earn enough to mm -hmm. actually pay with the addition of the MBI would be brought up into a bracket where they have to pay taxes and so it's a little you know uh, I guess symbiotic but mm -hmm. it does you, you will see a spike in tax revenue naturally based on that you could even look at other things too you could say we're gonna make this a consumption tax instead of having an income tax in this country in which case those who have more money spend more money and therefore in all likelihood you get more taxes from them that way as opposed mm -hmm. to having a current system which has you know myriad of carve-outs and deductions for all sorts of things I and mean, keeps the whole army of tax attorneys employed right? yeah. <laughs> well and we absolutely need that yeah. <laughs> uh, no the, the other thing I do I, I do I find really tempting with the MBI is the amount of the leverage it would give to sectors of US labor who don't have it right now because mm -hmm. the the theoretical and and you know again Adam, going back to Adam Smith Adam Smith in, in all 1,000 pages of the wealth of nations never says the word unemployment he always talks about leisure time which mm -hmm. is the the mark that you're you're reading a brilliant piece of work <laughs> written by an effete Scotsman who uh, never had to worry about money um, but uh, you know he, he we've got a, a large work a large amount of the workforce in this country that works you know at jobs with these incredibly low wages mm -hmm. with wages that put them below the poverty line simply because they can't afford not to they, mm -hmm. they can't take time off to shop around they can't tell you know the fast food restaurant chain they work at to go to hell mm -hmm. and wait for them yeah. to cave and pay them more money and you know the the businesses who hire these employees know that, mm -hmm. and so of course, mm -hmm. yeah, that we can offer seven seven fifty an hour, and that's it. It's, it's what uh, what Marx would call the reserve army, of the unemployed. Mm -hmm. You know, the lump and proletariat, sort of nipping at the heels of the currently employed to make sure that you know they're sort of kept down by that by that fear of unemployment. 
Uh, and this would certainly do away with some of that. Well, it would it would give you the in theory it would give you the luxury of of mm -hmm. if if I applied for a job at and and again uh, I'm going to pick on McDonald's because mm -hmm. they're so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. They don't care what I have to say about them. <laughs> they make way too much money. Um, but honestly, this is any. I mean, not even just in in fast food, mm -hmm. in, in businesses across America. Slaughterhouses. Even. If, if 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 I went and applied for a job there, and they offer me, you know, the the federally mandated minimum wage, mm -hmm. and I go, well, I can't possibly live on that. I've got you know, I've got kids and car payments mm -hmm. and student loans and all this stuff. They can go well. There's a line behind you of people mm -hmm. waiting to who would yeah. you know, jump at you know seven fifty an hour. Mm -hmm. So. Have a good day, uh, and so you know at that point in the negotiation over wage, I have to cave because seven fifty an hour is better than nothing. Yeah, I think that, what that reminds me of too is that you know labor in America has undergone uh, a, a shift in the last forty or fifty years. If you go back to a period, say in the fifties, something like a third of the private sector workforce was unionized. Yep. Which probably had some of the stabilizing impact that we're talking about right now, where it was hard for employers to really push down wages too much because there were only so many people available that you could you could push down like that. You know, there's a third of them that had very strong negotiating and bargaining rights, which again you'd be thinking that the minimum basic income would sort of reset some of that power dynamic mm. between the two sides, I suppose. Well, because you know. What was what was a problem that was largely solved by unions and collective bargaining, where mm -hmm. a union has leverage because they can shut the entire mm -hmm. industry down, like not even just Ford Motor Company, mm -hmm. but you know GM, yeah. Chrysler, everybody, uh, with a phone call. Mm -hmm. um, as that power has kind of waned lately, uh, what, again, what I like about the MBI is on on an individual by individual level, it gives just a little bit of leverage where mm -hmm. I can say, listen, I don't like this wage you're offering mm -hmm. me and I can afford to walk away from the table and hang out, you know, collecting my check for a month or two, mm -hmm. uh, you know, living frugally yeah, and, and wait for you to come back at me with a better offer. And that's a, that, that's a degree of leverage labor in the U.S. A lot of labor in the U.S. does not have right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, and I won't try, I won't move this too, I won't move the goalposts too much on this or try and, you know, change the, the conversation too much, but there's a, a couple places I'm aware of, and we'll, we'll talk about the difference between a, you know, minimum basic income and a jobs guarantee, something like mm -hmm. the workers, you know, the CCC or WPA or something like that, which essentially perform that same function mm -hmm. under, under their new deal. You know, if you think about it, that's, that's kind of what that was, except for instead of having them stay at home, they said, you got to come work on such and such work camp or whatever if, it is. If you show up there, it will yeah, exactly, be a job. Exactly. So I think that, that might be that's a discussion for another day, but mm -hmm. I, something else to think about, whoever's listening. So. Yeah. Well, then uh, the other thing I've got down is, as again, one of these really tempting benefits is an MBI could make, again, theoretically, for, you know, a, a sector of the workforce, mm -hmm. could make higher education much more viable mm -hmm. uh, in that, and again, this is, this is a limited amount of people, because mm -hmm. you, obviously you've got people who can go to college uh, on their parents' dime, mm -hmm. don't have to work during it, great. You've got people who 
can get into college uh, with scholarships or student loans, but have to work a job to pay living expenses. And then you've got people who no amount of benefits or additional money is really going to help them get through college. But then you've got this kind of sliver of the sector of people who aren't who could you know would either have tuition covered through FAFSA mm -hmm. or what and, and or be able to take out student loans mm -hmm. but simply can't go to college because they can't uh they, they wouldn't be able to survive on a part-time job uh, you know either because they've got kids and mm -hmm. thus you know they have the additional expense there mm -hmm. or you know for whatever reason you slot in that MBI, all of a sudden there's going to be, and again, it's going to be a thin sliver, but you're going to have this group of the population who suddenly the light for being able to for, to go to, you know, a technical school, community college, mm -hmm. state university, private college, whatever, yeah. goes from red to green. Yeah. Uh, how much that is, how worth it it is. You know, and, and what that reminds me of is... Um, you don't, as if this were to be instituted, it's really, it's kind of hard to guess all the effects that might happen. There might be individuals who, this this allows them to, you know, quit this job that they don't like and start a, start a small business. Mm -hmm. This allows them to just, you know, start a small business on the side. This allows, this may have other effects that we don't even, we're not even really thinking about, positive or negative, that we're, you know, it turn, turns out, you know, you look at the quit rate or something like that, it just jumps up massively because mm -hmm. the labor market's shifting and people are seeking out, like you said, new opportunities maybe they're more suited for. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as far as benefits of an MBI, that's, that, that was the list I had put mm -hmm. together. Uh, anything else uh, I missed? I don't, I don't think so. Those are definitely real benefits. Um, so, getting into issues, we talked about that, yeah, the... Uh, Depending on how you wanted to implement it, how universally, how much money, it doesn't necessarily pay for itself. Yeah. It can be made to. Mm -hmm. It may, you know, it, it, with additional revenue from taxes, it, it may close mm -hmm. the gap a little bit. So we might not be looking at a $1.14 trillion gap. We might be looking at something closer to a $500 billion mm -hmm. gap, which... Still seems like a lot of money, but yeah. you know, uh, it can be that that can be offset too with you know either increased income taxes, a consumption mm -hmm. tax. I've seen recommendations of a carbon tax and mm -hmm. taking that money and pushing it towards yeah. the, the the gap. Mm -hmm. um, the 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 other one that comes up uh, a lot in the in writings I've read about this is. And, 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 and I've got a question mark next to it, and, and this might be something we, uh, we can get into, is uh, that it would create a disincentive to work. I think that's a huge issue, especially as it, as it proceeds in time. You know, after the first year, we may see some of these positive effects that we're talking about, but 5, 10, 15 years into this, there's not going to be political will to, to do away with it. Mm. And um, there's going to be... <laughs> There's going to be a group of people who just don't want to work. They have nothing. They don't. There's something great on TV that day, week, year, and that's all that's going on. Yep. Well, <laughs> the video game every week. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to the office ever again. And and again, the reason I've got a, a, a question mark next to that, I guess, is it, and it comes down to the question of how, how does this get implemented? Because mm -hmm. 
I would not have a question mark there next to disincentivize his work if the proposed MBI was $80,000 a year to every citizen. I'm like, yeah, at that point, what, what do I need? Of course, with the amount of money, additional uh, money the Fed is going to have to print to, mm-hmm. to create that amount to send out in checks, inflation is going to take, take its we'll, natural we'll end up like Venezuela at that yeah. point. Uh, but if we're talking about, say, something closer to $6,000 a year, mm-hmm. would that really disincentivize work? Because I don't know if you could necessarily live on that. I suppose you could be. You'd probably be living in your van by yeah. the river. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I trying to think like what just my weekly grocery bill yeah. is, and, and extrapolate that out. You, you know, it kind of reminds me of something we, we didn't really touch on very much. We talked about putting, you know, the Business Insider reporter talked about putting it at the poverty level, mm-hmm. which is an interesting number because where that, if I remember right, where that comes from is when that number was first put together, it was. Having, a, having to spend 50% of their budget on food. Mm-hmm. That, that, that was what they considered to be. And so look at the, the say, the, the change in price of food because of the way agriculture has gone. It's, food's really a lot cheaper than it used to be. I mean, they still have the dollar menu almost unchanged since I was in seventh grade, yep. which was 20 years ago. So look at that and go, food is very cheap. And so what, what other things are composing what, what, the, what a household's expenses are? And, and also, I mean, when we start talking about, okay, it's $6,000 a year, so is that index for inflation, like Social Security? Does it, you know, these implementation problems, I think, are, like you said, that's really where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. Do we create a cliff at which point, you know, you know, people, maybe they work or maybe they take raises, they don't take raises. And some of that exists already in the current system where, you know, if you, if you, if you get a $20,000 raise, you lose eligibility for this myriad of programs. And all you have on all you have is less time yeah. to do something else, and, but your standard of living is the same. So how would you eliminate that that benefit cliff? I guess is one of the big things if it is means tested. Well, and the, I, I I think the the typical answer to that is then don't make it means tested. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that's also how you would probably garner the political the support yeah. from the population. Of, mm-hmm. No, no, no. This isn't me taking from you mm-hmm. and giving to them. This is everybody, yeah, and, and yeah. this is just how we're going to do it from now on. And then, I, again, for some of the benefits that I like particularly, again, the, the leverage over employers mm-hmm. and the upward pressure on wages, in order to achieve that, you'd have to give it to everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you can't have that, that cliff. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, in the, a lot of with the... Uh, trick of the MBI or an MBI is is like you said where where the rubber hits the road of okay how are we implementing it because one you know again a means tested version and a universal version are not the same mm-hmm. and you're going to get different results um, but of course they all have the nice thing about the means tested one is we could easily afford that mm-hmm. with the cost savings yeah. the problem with the universal one is it again it creates all these mm-hmm. in very interesting and I, I and the more I thought about it that was the best word I could come up with because it's it's neutral uh, interesting market effects <laughs> of because I, I, well like you said it, you know you can't you can't even look at just the the initial implementation or even one year out 
what happens when this becomes so commonplace? And I think the, the interesting thing is, it, you think about it, okay, you look at the marginal propensity to save, marginal propensity to consume of different groups. Uh, I think you, 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 it would be really interesting to find out what people do start spending this on. So, I mean, mm. if you take someone who's, you know, median household income right now is, I want to say, right around fifty-five, fifty-eight thousand dollars for the United States, and that's household. Uh, if this is, you know, six thousand dollars, that's a ten percent increase in yep. your standard of living. Those might just all be consumption goods. I mean, you know, we may just start seeing new cars flying off the shelves. Mm. Uh, we may start seeing, you know. Uh, <laughs> Luxury goods. I mean, people buy new fur coats. I mean, it's really, it's really tough to figure out what that might end up causing. I mean, it. I think in, in any event, I think it would be very inflationary. Yeah. At least, at the initial the initial year or two, and then who knows? But that might be a good thing given you know the general level of household indebtedness in this country. The average yep. household has ten thousand dollars in credit card debt. My bet is you'd see those balances go down. Pretty quickly, pretty precipitously. Well, especially it would because they'd be at least again in that initial mm-hmm. phase because all of a sudden I've got six <clears throat> grand that yeah. I hadn't budgeted for, mm-hmm. and at least the the more responsible among <laughs> us will will look at that and go, yeah. okay, well I'm gonna put five of that yeah. towards. Uh, my my credit card debt, and then I'm going to go buy an Xbox. You know, which which does remind me of another thing. If you think about it, there, there's been a lot of you know hand wringing lately about um, levels of retirement savings mm. of you know the generation that's maybe be 10, 12 years out from retirement age, and although well, this wouldn't necessarily you know bail those people out entirely if they're sitting you know, if they're if they're 58 and only have 20 grand for retirement saved. And, not, and nothing else other than Social Security, but you know, it might give those people a bit of a leg up. It may yep. prevent them from being destitute, you know, in 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 retirement, um, which is the initial idea of Social Security too. So it, we may we may see a lot of different things. We may see people who decide to retire early as a result of this mm-hmm. that otherwise wouldn't. You know, they're 58, 59. Eh, we'll just we'll just retire now. I don't that that extra little amount of money per year. That's going to make it so that I don't. I, between, I tweak out of the workforce between my savings and mm-hmm. my MBI. Yeah, I got it covered. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the other, I guess, interesting thing is again, let's assume uh, one of the things that that's great about uh, typically with capital injections into the lower income brackets is uh, people in lower income brackets when they have more money they spend it. And as an economist, you gotta love that. Absolutely. And so I guess whether they spend it on paying down debt or on luxury items, I guess my take on it would be who cares? Because yeah. they're spending it. Exactly, like, exactly. That, Monetary velocity would we'd expect it to go up and it's sudden, been quite anemic for the last maybe eight years. Yeah. Well and suddenly now everybody's buying the iPhone nine, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever would come out yeah. by the time an MBI would pass. The, the iPhone 24, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, so now Apple has to create more supply to meet mm-hmm. demand, and so Apple has to hire more employees, open more Apple stores, mm-hmm. and you get the the Keynesian the, the the theoretical multiplier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, again, the the opposite side of that, which uh, the the left doesn't like to bring up. Is the inflationary effect? Yeah, because prices will eventually equilibrate uh, based on this. Yeah. So, and again, if if there is going to be that, like let's say it's a five-year period for prices to find equilibrium, mm-hmm. 
at that point with the rise in prices are we going to be looking around saying well what was the point of all that <laughs> we, had, we had five really good years yeah of economic growth but then now six thousand dollars can't pay for a year's worth of groceries yeah yeah exactly uh so it's it's it, it does get dicier than i think a lot of people would give it credit for yeah I, you know, you could you could make a joke out of this, and I, I'm not saying this to seriously do this, but it would be interesting if you know every year you just went and rolled a 12-sided dice or something <laughs> in front of the, the tax assessor, and you know that times 50 or times 20 or whatever, that's what you get for the year. So you know maybe maybe, maybe the situation where it's like, man, maybe my you know basic income this year is 12 grand, maybe it's three. I'm gonna get something, but I better not you know better not be so crazy with it. So well, and of course, you know the. Uh, argument or the the pendulum of the argument swinging back is how do you avoid the inflationary effects? Well, the best way to do that, if you were set on doing an MBI, would be to make it means tested. Yeah. So it's much more limited. The impact's much yeah. more limited. But then again, you lose all. Some of the inflation might be desirable too. That's the thing. Yeah. One thing I wonder. I don't know if you looked at this, and I haven't looked at it in a while because. It's not what it used to be, but you know about the Alaska Permanent Fund checks, yep. right? Yep. And, and that, I wonder if that has, a, if, if there's any information that can be gained from that that practice. I don't know if they're still doing it. From, from what uh, they they still are, and mm-hmm. what what that is is basically, if you're a, a resident of Alaska, uh, they take the revenues earned from resource mining throughout the state. They the state takes and k- kicks a check back to. Every citizen. It's not a lot. I want to yeah, say, and right? and and that was I want to say because I was reading about it last night, and I want to say it's like two hundred bucks. Oh, okay. Or, I was thinking it was like eighteen hundred or something. Or, and it might be. I might. Yeah. Be, it, it, maybe it's it two hundred a lot. Maybe it's two hundred a month or yeah, something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's not a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. So you you know it's a nice little bonus. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it makes living in Alaska worth it. Well, that's kind of uh, what made me think about it. Is that I think it was based on the revenue, and it's, so it was somewhat variable. You know, the price. So I think when the price of oil fell, that you know I think that's a lot of what was based on the, the permanent fund checks. Kind of went. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, and they naturally would because mm-hmm. that's what it's generated. Off yeah, of. yeah. But yeah, I think even well, I mean, let's let's call it eighteen hundred yeah. a year. Uh, with that, I, I don't know if you would see, although, I, th- to be honest, top of my head, I couldn't tell you what general cost of living in Alaska is. I think is. it's higher, too, which is what's interesting. <laughs> I, I was there once, and it was stuff was definitely more expensive, and I'm wondering if well, I it suppose, had an impact. I suppose the, the cost of getting anything up anything there. Up there. Uh, again, not bagging on Alaska. It is a no. gorgeous state, Beautiful. but uh, I don't like short days and cold weather so sorry sorry guys i'm never going to move up to your state uh the midwest is is about about as much as i can handle so you know uh, i'm sure to listeners out there um you know this is hitting that that typical thing in most of our the podcast conversations we we have on economics here of there's no real answer. I, I mean, it, it comes down to it depends. Do we want to run the risk of higher inflation and and the the effects that come with that? Or uh, well, and and I do have. I told you about this before. <laughs> under issues, my my last one, and this is this is not a strong enough issue to to say yay or nay on. But 
I, I felt I needed to note it is every time I hear about the MBI, there's a little voice in the back of my head. I think the ghost of Milton Friedman or something, <laughs> who, although he wouldn't know, he'd be for this. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, somebody uh, who crops up and it's like, ah, this feels a little too socialisty yeah. for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if I like this. Again, that's not a good enough reason to dismiss the idea of an MBI entirely. But I, I, I get visions of Soviet-era yeah. concrete homes that you live in them, but no one really wants to. You get and, that kind of socialism and, and, in your head, and, right? And again, it's it, it's not, because obviously yeah. like the, the phenomenal thing, at least in theory, about the MBI is it has all sorts of great... Again, what we're calling interesting market mm-hmm. effects <laughs> is 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 it really is just kind of laying it on the table and mm-hmm. letting the market sort it out. Yeah. Is okay now that labor has money, labor doesn't necessarily have to work. So McDonald's, if you want human employees in your store, you better offer better than minimum wage because mm-hmm. all of a sudden now all your employees can tell you, eh, no, nah, I don't need it. I'm good. It's not worth my time. Or, or it may be something. This is one of the things that when I was reading about the Speem Hanlon laws was um or system was that because the employees didn't they weren't you know they weren't really worried about getting that fired. But if they were there and they're working, mm-hmm. you know, they're not quite as you know the marginal productivity of labor might d- diminish a little yeah. bit just because you're talking about okay you know I come in kind of loaf around and well yeah if you if you fire me there's still money with yeah it. yeah exactly which which again is another uh, I mean very real risk I like I say if if I think if you you can fix some of that yeah by setting the MBI low enough yeah yeah where it's enough to keep the lights on enough mm-hmm. to keep the heat on in the winter and you know food on the table but mm-hmm. not so much that uh, any person could live entirely comfortably at least not if they're spending their money sensibly yeah, yeah. like yeah you, maybe you go out and buy, buy that xbox or that playstation <laughs> but you're not going to eat for three weeks now, yeah so you know have fun with that yeah um i, I guess and and you'd mentioned it before the other thing the the, the other thing that really should quash this this feeling of of kind of the unease about the socialist nature of it uh, is it, it does go back to uh, you know the 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 no, notions put forward by Smith of the the opposite of work being leisure mm-hmm. and that leisure can produce benefits mm-hmm. like not being employed is not necessarily a bad thing because now you can pursue other things that aren't I guess in Smith's day agriculture or minor factory work uh, so. You might see a difference in health outcomes too. People who are less stressed, people mm-hmm. who are uh, sick less often as a result of this. So again, there are interesting effects that we may not even be thinking up right now. Well, no, I mean, you know, with as we've been going through them, though, you can kind of tally in your head that you're going to have a lot of these effects either neutralizing each other or mm-hmm. compensating for each other, and. I, you know the kind of the final outcome I I wonder if this is you know the modern economics education I've gotten would say of course we can calculate this <laughs> we just need enough you know server space mm-hmm. to to pour in all the data uh, but I wonder if this is is one of those macroeconomic issues that is so complicated that if if 
the U.S. government were interested in implementing it, or if the U.S. population mm-hmm. were interested in implementing it, it might be one of those things where we just have to roll the dice yeah. and, and yeah. say either, you know, here there are potential downsides, but if you guys are okay with it in exchange for $6,000 a year... See what happens. Let's see what happens. And <laughs> if it doesn't work, then you know, yeah, we'll we'll deal with it from there. Uh, yeah, the the federal the Federal Reserve will fix it because <laughs> uh, that's what they usually do. Now, uh, when we were talking uh, prior to the episode or prior to recording, you had mentioned uh, wanting to talk about psychological effects um, for the for people receiving this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. So in the this, you know, the psychological effects are the kind of things where for some people I think it would be positive, and I think for some people it would be it would be strongly negative because for them, you know, if, if you're if all of a sudden you know you you're kind of priced out of the work you're not priced out necessarily but you you don't you don't you're not produ- you're not productive enough as a laborer to really make it worth anyone to hire you above and beyond what that pays. Mm-hmm. You're you're almost stuck outside the labor force that way. You know the the most you you can get paid at that point is the, the minimum basic income, and and that could you know leave a lot of people really kind of left on the sidelines because they they needed something like this to kind of keep them going. Mm. They need they needed a job I guess to keep them going, and now that they don't, you know they they become the, the idle rich. All the bad connotations of that. Of, you know, <laughs> drug addiction, crashing cars, stuff like that. Without without being rich enough. Without without being rich in any way, yeah. yeah. Uh, which I, I I mean yeah they, I guess I mean there there's examples of programs like this being implemented mm-hmm. through history, but even then I don't I don't know if you could really especially a lot of the the more ancient ones because mm-hmm. I guess um, the uh, the, the original uh, Middle Eastern Caliphate uh, mm-hmm. under Abu Bakr mm-hmm. had a program like this. Well, I didn't know that. Oh, God, why can't I remember the year? Um, it would have been... 700? Yeah, thereabouts. Uh, but, you know, there's really no way of gauging. Yeah. What, plus, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, in that era... We're talking about an agrarian economy. Yeah. So how relevant is that? Like, part of me wonders how relevant it would be to take examples from the early industrial. From from the early industrial age, is it going to apply now? And and there's that idea of well, if we're looking at, yeah, I guess late 1700s to mid 1800s. 1834, I think, is when the 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 poor law reforms were enacted that did away with that system. you, You can get. A, a, a glimpse of what it's like to be in that transitionary phase mm-hmm. from one economic epoch mm-hmm. to the next. Yeah. But, I mean, the industrial age was the industrial age, and the U.S. anyway, and most of Europe is really not an, in the yeah. industrial age anymore. We're in uh, age to be, yeah. the, for the blank to be filled in 50 years from now when we figure out what the new economy looks yeah. like. I, I think, you know, when you talk about different parts of the world too, is that one, one of the things that you see in this country anyway is that, um, you know, we have international labor arbitrage, right? So you take, move your manufacturing facility first to China. China gets too expensive, wage rates go up, you move it to Bangladesh or you move to Laos or something. Um, is this a situation where this would, you know, having a system like this would put the United States labor at an even bigger international disadvantage mm. because 
they would be even more expensive relative to you know other countries for you know, even service jobs at this point. Things in IT, things in law, sometimes are done in places like India. Well, that's that's another one. It it might be the the case that we. The, just like the idea of the MBA itself, that you just have to roll the dice yeah, on and yeah, say and see what happens, and basically say, you know what, to hell with it. We're losing jobs either way. Yeah, yeah. Like, if we don't implement it, we're losing jobs to China and mm -hmm. India, and and my prediction is in the next twenty to thirty years, Africa, mm -hmm. because yeah. China's going to price itself out, <laughs> and all of a sudden. They're, the world's going to be looking for cheap labor. Yeah, and, exactly. And, um, you know, labor goes where labor is cheap. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if, if we accept that as inevitable, like that, that's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. We we are a a you know, for lack of a less pan or a less uh, condescending term, we're a first world country. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just not a labor hub anymore. Yeah. It's just or a manufacturing. Yeah. No, that's just not what we're gonna do. Mm -hmm. Then you can kind of say, yeah, I mean, might as well implement an MBI because we're gonna lose jobs anyway. Mm -hmm. So at least our people can afford. We food. don't want everyone living under a bridge, right? And 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 we hopefully people can use, especially because our bridges are falling apart. <laughs> uh, but uh, and we don't have enough bridges. Although we're gonna create a demand for yeah, more bridges yeah. for people <laughs> to live under and uh, fans down by the river. You know. Yeah. Uh, but no, you you basically kind of. I, I think it would be the, the economic version of crossing the Rubicon. Yeah, so yeah. Just saying, you know what the hell with it. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to drive forward with this. We'd rather, again, our citizens be able to put food on the table mm -hmm. than trying to hold on to jobs, which we seem to be losing yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Um, and and but again, that that comes down to I think. At least outside of economics, it comes down to a philosophical argument mm -hmm. of could we, is there some magic policy we could ever implement that would bring back manufacturing jobs? Maybe there is. I, I've never seen one, but. Uh, yeah, and, and, other, and part of it, I think, what this all comes back to is the increases in things like automation. There, there, there's still plenty of steel, steel factory jobs out there. Mm. They're safer, there are fewer of them that produce a similar amount of steel. But it's just, it's, they don't need as many people because they have a lot of robots, a lot of machines that keep people safer for the most part. And also, um, you just don't need as many people on the, on the factory floor when you've got everything automated and mm -hmm. run from a single location. Well, that's, that, I mean, that also becomes the hard truth of the rise of automation is, yeah, those jobs are never coming. Back. Yeah, exactly. A sh short of some very draconian regulations that say, Every bolt must be you know, <laughs> put into place by a human hand, which yeah. would, I think, be devastating to our economy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once you replace a worker with a robot, that that job's gone. Yeah. That, that is never coming back because a robot can do it cheaper, more efficiently. Doesn't call him sick. Yeah. Uh, so, again, that would be if 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 we feel like that job loss isn't because. U.S. labor is necessarily, well, because automation is rising because U.S. labor is getting more expensive, but if we can't ever roll that back, which, again... This might be the only real option. Yeah, is, yeah. And, and, and again, it would theoretically buy U.S. labor that transition mm -hmm. time to say, okay, guess what, guys? 
nobody's working in steel mills anymore. Like, there's one dude working working a computer console. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Nobody's working in a coal mine anymore. It's three guys, you know, working the, the mechanized mm-hmm. thing that digs out the coal. Nobody's working at McDonald's anymore. It's all touchscreen, and a robot builds your hamburger mm-hmm. for you. Um, and at some point, I'll have to do a show about about automation because yeah some of those i don't know like in the food service industry uh as as lackluster as some fast food employees are i know i'm always more comfortable dealing with a human being Mm -hmm. i don't know it's a topic for a time but so you know if those jobs are, are are gone okay you got to find something else to do what where is the actual employment opportunity it's in computer programming yeah well, I guess the thing too is that it, 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 when we talk about these these knock-on effects it might have so I think it'd be really interesting to see what would happen if there are people who are working 70 hours a week or something or working two or three jobs that go oh okay now I don't have to do that so instead of having one person working 55 65 hours you have two people working 30 hours or 28 hours or something like that. Which, again, going back to Smith, would really be the dream. Right. It? Is, as technology gets more efficient, our hours of labor haven't gone down, which yeah. is weird. I, our, obviously, our productivity has exploded. But, like, you know, wasn't the point of inventing all this great technology yeah. so that we could live like the Jetsons? And yeah. You know, my job is just pushing a button every day. Uh, it's <laughs> or or, or my, my job only takes up, you know, six hours a day, four days a week or something, five days a week. Yeah, because, you know. I'm not, we're not, everyone's not rushing around, you know, for uh, on the road all, all two hours a day and then nine hours in the office and, you know, working through lunch. You know, that, we kind of do away with that hectic, crazy mentality. And again, they, they, there would def, if if that becomes the prevailing thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, not only we need the MBI because not only are do we need to create this transition, mm-hmm. but even beyond the transition, we're going to be living in a world with 10, 20 hour work weeks, mm-hmm. if that. Yeah. Because you know most most jobs have been you know automated mm-hmm. and. I can also do most of my job from home mm-hmm. because I have a yeah. global telecommunications, you know, link up mm-hmm. that I can, you know, either Skype, email, phone, voice call, text, anything to anyone. So why do I need to sit in an office? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the MBI might be the thing that gets us there. Might not. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, unfortunately. After you know, we've been we've been talking about an hour now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, again, I still the things I like about the MBI I really like. Still well, not one hundred percent sure. Wow, well, you know, and the thing is, I'll I'll just kind of wrap this up. I know I've been saying what sound like a lot of positive things about it, but because of all these different things we talked about, these downsides. This is where I always thought that a jobs guarantee, mm. WPA CCC style jobs guarantee, would be superior to an MBI because it eliminates some of those problems mm. where. You still have to work, and private sector could pay less than a jobs guaranteed job could, but uh, you, you never get promoted. You know, you never be manager at you know if you have a government guaranteed job. You know, you're out there fixing bridges, cutting cutting stacking firewood, whatever it is, and it, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not exactly where you want to be, uh, and, and and that's part of the reason I think that they're you know the one of the websites that I learned a lot about this from. That, that was their take, is that there, there are real problems with the, the MBI, you know, inflation, 
is a really big one. You know, the price. I mean, you imagine the price of real estate would, a lot of places would just immediately go up by six thousand dollars because the, you know, the so, landlords know, hey, we know you got the money. Yeah. Well, um, and again, yeah, there's compensating effects, which again, you yeah, because a guaranteed jobs program creates, I guess, more randomized results. Mm-hmm. Again, you could, you would, you might not see those adjustments. The, I guess the question would be: Is could you do a guaranteed jobs program, basically, indefinitely? You could, but would you want to do that? No, would, would would you want to? You could choose to take a pay cut temporarily, go get a job somewhere else, you know, with a private sector employee employer, and get promoted, whatever it is, gain more specialized skills instead of. You know, just going out and not quite digging holes and filling them back in, but they'll come in and like, okay, you know, you need, you need to do something. And that would be a way that would keep people from having, you know, permanent, mm-hmm. permanent status in that sort of marginally attached worker uh, position. And, you know, instead of just saying, well, I, yes, you still can work, you know, you could even have a combination of both. You could have an MBI, a jobs guarantee program, so that, you know, you, if you do both, you know, you'll never make more than 20 grand years. So you'll never really be starving. But you're never really going to get anywhere career-wise. Yeah. You know, if, if that's what people want to do, go ahead, let them sit at home. Yeah. But you know, rather than have you know this system the way that it is, see, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up too before we wrap this up. Is um, I had a friend who was an attorney for a long time, and he was on he was marginally employed for a while, and um, he was on food stamps. And he told me what's so interesting about that is it was a very complicated process to mm. get and keep that benefit, you know, supplementary, supplementary Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. Um, he said, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, <laughs> and I have trouble navigating this system. And the current system is, it, it almost makes people feel like just getting those those 79 benefit programs is a job in and of itself. you got to know how to work the system, how to play it together. And with this, you just say, well, you know, minimum basic income. All right, that's what you want to get. You can get it. We all know you're lazy bum. Go ahead and work. You know, we're live live on six hundred dollars a month or whatever. If you find a way to do it, good, more power to you. But we all know that instead of making it feel like there's some sort of earning and in, in going in like navigating these complicated programs, because then that feels like you your your job is getting benefits because yeah. you get went through all this gesticulation to get it. Well, so if anyway, it, if, if it takes you know seven or you know five full days of effort. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. To get a week's worth of food stamps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. Yeah. Do, you you absolutely need those food stamps immediately mm-hmm. for you know for mm-hmm. your your short term needs, but it's occupying all the time. You yeah. Would, and again, typically, I like to think the best of people, mm-hmm. and that's not always the best case. Yeah, yeah. But thinking the best of people, mm-hmm. people who would be looking for work, mm-hmm. but because. Any job they apply to, there's going to be a two to four week wait, and mm-hmm. they have to go through an interview process. Yeah. The the immediate need becomes, well, I need food on the table, so mm-hmm. I got to put my time into exactly. food stamps. Yeah, but again, yeah. if that takes up all your time, yeah, yeah, it uh, takes up five days out of the month to, to make sure you qualify. Yeah, it, it feels like you have a part time job, even and if it isn't. And 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 again, yeah, an MBI would theoretically solve that mm-hmm. because again, it's just the check shows yeah. up, and and you're left with that time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah. Thanks for having me in here. I really I appreciate being able to talk about this. It's fun well, it's, having this conversation. It's, it's a pleasure. And again, if you've got uh, another topic uh, you uh, can never think of that you want to talk about, I'll, I'll, I'll think about one. Definitely. Welcome to come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank everybody for out there for listening. Uh, remember to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, okay, let me tell you why you're wrong on iTunes. Uh, so far, I'd promise that. Uh, 
So I got, uh, I believe it was 25, or no, 50, 50 uh, reviews on iTunes. Uh, I would open a Twitter account, which I very much don't want to do. <laughs> so far, we're, we're a ways away from me getting a Twitter account, so I don't know whether to be happy or sad about that. Uh, be sure to spread the word. Uh, one of the best things you can do for this podcast is let uh, people know about it who might be interested. And uh, if you'd like, you can find us on Facebook to comment on this episode or make suggestions for future episodes. And with that, I'm Dave Yost, and this has been OK. Let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs>